This is Positive Parenting. Parenting expertise and advice from best-selling parenting author and national newspaper columnist, Mr. Dad, Armin Brott. Welcome to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brott, the founder of MrDad.com. So glad you're here with us. Is it okay for my child to eat dirt? That's a question that a lot of pediatricians get these days. They also get a lot of other questions like, my two-year-old gets constant ear infections. Should I give her antibiotics or probiotics? Or things like, I've heard that my son's asthma was caused by a lack of microbial exposure. If this is true, what can I do about it now? Well, if you're the kind of person who gets online, go ahead, Google these questions and others like them, and you will be overwhelmed with answers. The Internet is just filled with speculation and misinformation about the risks and benefits of what most parents think of as simply germs, but which scientists are now calling the microbiome, which is the combined activity of all of the tiny organisms that live inside our bodies and the surrounding environment that have an enormous impact on our health and well-being. Over the years on Positive Parenting, we've talked a little bit about the microbiome, but things are changing quite a bit, and we're going to be talking with one of the top scientists who is leading the investigation into the microbiome, an investigation that is producing fascinating discoveries and bringing answers to parents who want to do the best for their young children. I'm Armin Brott. We'll start talking about the advantages of germs and why dirt is good for a developing immune system when Positive Parenting continues right after this. More with Mr. Dad, Armin Brott, after this, from the MrDad.com radio network. Hands can do incredible things. This is the sound of 326 hands playing Mozart. This is the sound of 10,942 hands showing appreciation. 64 hands building a house for the homeless. 142 hands swimming a triathlon. 18 hands winning the big game. And this is the sound of two hands helping to save a life. It's called Hands Only CPR, and it's recommended by the American Heart Association. If an adult suddenly collapses, call 911, then push hard and fast in the center of their chest until help arrives. It's incredibly easy and effective. Hands can do incredible things. But nothing compares to using them to help save a life. Find out more about this latest method of CPR at handsonlycpr.org. A message from the American Heart Association and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brott. My guest for this part of today's show is Jack Gilbert, who's the co-author with Rob Knight of Dirt is Good, the Advantage of Germs for Your Child's Developing Immune System. Jack, thanks for joining us. It's my pleasure to be here. Let's talk a little bit about overall the emerging science of the microbiome. And it's something I think probably two, three years ago, nobody ever heard the, the phrase, or you probably did, but most people outside of the scientific community hadn't. And how is this something that has really blossomed, so to speak? Right. I mean, if you think about the history of medicine, this has actually been around for many years. In fact, you know, uh, go back as far as Pasteur and his discovery of uh, germs as causing disease. Well, he also made the preposition that microbes might actually be useful for health. And actually having the right kinds of bacteria inside you may be essential for your health. And then we fast forward about 20 or 30 years to the early part of the 20th century, so around 1910, 
And we have Eli Metchinkoff saying that fermented milk products were extremely valuable for health. So we, we, we for years, have understood that microbes in our body, the, the bacteria, the fungi, the viruses, could be important in well-being. And it's only really, I'd say, in the last 10, 15 years that the medical community has started to re-embrace that idea. So for almost 100 years, the idea of a, um, of a microbiome being beneficial, of the bacteria actually helping in health, was kind of quashed to a certain extent. We, we didn't really want to know it or understand it, so we ignored it. And now we are starting to see that they can play a very vital role in helping to maintain wellness. Well, so how, how did this happen that antibiotics became to be such a big thing? Because those are essentially wiping out all of the bacteria, whether it's good or bad. Did they kind of willfully disregard Pasteur and, and the rest of the, the folks you just mentioned? No, in fact, they willfully embraced them. <laughs> so the idea that well, antibiotics could be useful is extremely old, right? We've, we've been using uh, compounds to kill off organisms that are dangerous to our health for many years. In fact, you know, even as early as the First World War, the, the Russians were using um, a thing called phage therapy, whereby we get viruses that kill bacteria, but very specific viruses which kill very specific pathogens, and we pump the body full of those, and they kill off the bad guys, right? Well, the West, America and Europe, developed um, these antibiotics in around the 1940s, and they were extremely valuable in killing off an infection once it took hold of your body. So we need those, right? They, they have saved countless hundreds of millions of lives. Oh, yeah. And kept yeah. you know people alive that uh, wouldn't, have, wouldn't have otherwise made it. Um, it's just... Unfortunately, we didn't realize that maybe the overuse of antibiotics or the uh, uncontrolled use of these um, antibiotic and even antimicrobial compounds, such as cleaning products in your home, could somehow disrupt your um, experience of the microbiome. And this, we believe, has affected how we, uh, how we acquire chronic diseases, such right. as immune-activated asthma or allergies. Well, let's talk a little bit about that part of it, because I, I come to this, my, I've got a very good friend who's a, a functional medicine doctor, and she talks a lot about this with me, and, and it is saying that it's, it's related to pretty much everything, that, that whether it's, it's bizarre neurological problems or allergies or depression or anxiety, or it just seems to show up everywhere. Can you talk a little bit about the, the many ways that this exists or that, that it plays out? Absolutely. So if you think about it, the microbiome, the many bacteria, fungi, and viruses that live in your gut, live on your skin, in your mouth, and your urogenital tract all over you, right? They are an integral part of your body. Um, your body cannot get rid of them. In fact, your body has learned over evolutionary time to embrace them. And your body actually constructed a special edifice to control them called the immune system, right? That's what the immune system's job is. We think that the immune system, we used to think, that the immune system's job was to kill off the bad guys. Now we know it's more like a, like a national park warden, right, or a, a gardener. Killing off the bad guys, sure, getting rid of the weeds, making sure there are no invasive plants or species, but also sustaining and enabling the other plants, the other animals, to grow and become productive. Your immune system is doing that in your body. It's killing off the pathogens, sure recognizes them, it eradicates them. But it's also there 
to actually promote the growth of beneficial organisms. So if you think about it, when your immune system isn't seeing some of the beneficial organisms it expects to see, it can overreact to the smallest provocation and cause um, an allergy or an allergic attack or, um, or asthma. But when the microbiome is disrupted generally, you can actually get even more sophisticated alterations to your ecosystem. And that can lead to neurological disorders that you mentioned, like depression, anxiety, even the neurodevelopmental problems like autism and ADHD and school readiness. And even when we get older, like Parkinson's and Alzheimer's have all been linked to disruptions or changes in the microbial community. It, the microbiome is not the be-all and end-all of those conditions, but it is playing a substantive role in how your body processes energy, um, signals, uh, chemicals, and that affects so many different parts of your health. Everything from obesity and diabetes, all the way through to the neurological disorders, and then these autoimmune and chronic inflammatory disorders such as asthma and allergies. Um, we, are, we, we have been engaged in trying to categorize which aspects the microbiome plays a role in, um, and we've been shocked in the fact that it, it plays a role in virtually every disease. Is it safe to say that everyone's microbiome is different, or do people who live in the same geological area or the same community or same family members, I mean, how is it that, it's, that it develops? Well, everybody has their own unique microbiota because it's, you know, some of it's passed down from your mother, right? When you're born and you're smothered in your mother's vaginal juices, or you're kissing, getting kisses from your mother or, or from your father, or you're holding tight onto their skin, um, or even through breast milk, you get a healthy dose of your parental microbiome. But it's still technically impossible for that child to get exactly the same bacteria as the mother has in exactly the same proportions, but maintain exactly the same community composition. It just doesn't happen, right? And the microbes that uh, you experience in the world around you, from the animals you interact with, all the way through to the soil you may play in, um, they play a role in shaping your immune system and the kind of microbes that could colonize you. So you get this unique microbial profile. Yes, you are more similar in microbial composition to your family uh, than you are to some stranger. And yes, we often see that people that live in the same area are exposed to the same plants, animals, and soil um, can have a similar microbiota. But we can still identify identical twins based on their microbial composition because it's mathematically impossible that you would acquire exactly the same types of organisms and maintain them in those same proportions. Wait, you said you still you can't identify identical twins or you can? No, we can. We can. We can see that an identical twin pair has a unique microbiome each, right? Uh, you know, uh, little Johnny and little Max will have a unique microbiome despite the fact their genome is 100% identical. And so does everything that happens to you stay there in some ways? I mean, you, you know, you're talking about the, as you go through the birth canal, you're going to get hit with some some bacteria as you have breast milk and all the various things. I mean, if you move to another part of the country, does that fade? Do, do bacteria only only survive if they're being fed with particular kinds of foods or how... You know, do you know what I mean? Is it like an archaeological yeah, dig true. that everything is there, or does it change completely over time? It, it does change. Um, there's alterations in the composition of your microbiota based on your diet, on where you live, on who you interact with. Right, That does change. Of course it does. Um, but what's interesting 
in, in, in ecology, we have something called the founder effect, i.e. the first organism that gets there, it sets up shop, and it changes the succession of that ecosystem. It changes who can come in, who can uh, take up shop, uh, how the immune system attacks certain organisms. So that founder effect means that the microbes you get from your mother early in life can actually alter the trajectory of organisms which will um, colonize and, and become productive inside you, right? So we often see that, yes, you have changes in your microbiome. Yes, if you suddenly start eating Chinese food versus, you know, Indian food, you're going to have a very different type of microbiome um, blooming up. But the composition of the microbiota is nearly identical in terms of the community that's actually present inside your body. Talking with Jack Gilbert, who's the co-author with Rob Knight of Dirt is Good, the advantage of germs for your child's developing immune system. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we will keep talking to Jack. People have all kinds of excuses for not saving energy. I didn't plug it in. I'll turn it off later. It's not my music. It's just one phone charger. So um, we don't have those Energy Star appliances. So that old window leaks. How much energy and money could the new ones really save? Maybe it's time to stop making excuses and start doing some simple things to save the energy and resources we can. Because a little here and a little there can add up to a lot later. And you just never know what people will need in the future. My name is Sarah. And I'm going to get started today. We can all help save more energy for tomorrow. What's your excuse? For more energy-saving tips that also save money, visit loseyourexcuse.gov parents. This message is brought to you by the U.S. Department of Energy, the Ad Council, and the station. All right, class. Let's hear what everyone did this weekend. Jill? Well, I raised my older sister to a big oak tree. It was at least a hundred years old. My mom said I must have set a record or something. And then we went down by a stream and perched up on this huge rock and saw all of these little minnows swimming around way below us. And then I rescued my little brother from an evil slug king who was guarding him at the bush fortress. And my sister and I brought him back to our super twig for for safety. And then we all laid out and told stories until it got dark. And the Big Dipper led us all the way home. Where were you, Jill? Yeah. We went to the forest. It's not that far away. Anyone want to come this weekend? (laughs) Ask your parents to take you and your friends to the forest this week and find the fun, adventurous you. It's closer than you think. Check out discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ag Council. Welcome back to Positive Parenting. If you're just joining us, excuse me, I'm talking to Jack Gilbert, who's the author of Dirt is Good, The Advantage of Germs for Your Child's Developing Immune System. Want to switch gears a little bit and talk about what it is that we can do as parents and as as adults who maybe people don't even have kids. I think all of us should be taking better care of our gut. You hear so much about probiotics and prebiotics and fermented this and kefir and uh, you know it's it's so confusing. And and I was thinking about probiotics and then I went into a health food store and also went into the the aisle at Costco, and it's just enough to make you want to scream and run the other direction. There's a hundred different kinds, and each one of them have a trillion of this and two trillion of that, and it's it's overwhelming. Well, it, how do you begin? It's very difficult. There are there is no hard and fast rule. Um, you know, probiotics are an interesting component, uh, but let, let me let me let me back up a little bit and, and sure. deal with what 
we think you can do, right, in order to maintain microbial health. I mean, the first things are starting with pregnancy, just eating a healthy, balanced diet, right? And, you know, not, not being too worried about, um, you know, being exposed to soil or dirt or animals. You know, you have to be careful of certain uh, uh, parasites or toxoplasmosis coming from one of your cats, maybe. But if your animals are being vaccinated and if they are healthy generally, then having a, that kind of exposure in pregnancy can be beneficial. But eating a healthy diet is useful. Now, then we fast forward to birth. Um, having a vaginal delivery um, uh, has some presumed benefits over having a C-section, for example. But if you have to have a C-section, then we know that there are mechanisms to introduce your baby to some of those vaginal bacteria it's, it's expecting to see evolutionarily. You know, babies and their immune system expect to see those vaginal bacteria early in life. So there are ways to reintroduce those bacteria into the child's experience. Then as the child develops, breastfeeding is very beneficial. Again, the baby's microbes are expecting to see breast milk. It has all the right constituents in order to feed the baby's microbiota. And then as we even move further on, a healthy, balanced diet. Not an easy thing to do, right? But a healthy, balanced diet is extremely beneficial for maintaining baby's health. And that includes a rich diet of fiber, um, uh, many different types of colorful vegetables, you know, and it's sounds strange, but eating green vegetables and then trying to improve your diet of colorful vegetables mm -hmm. and fruits can be extremely helpful. Right? And a lot of this you knew about. Your mother told you the right, right kinds of things to eat. You've know, just got to listen to those, those old tales. But they're true. Um, sure. Now, when we get forward to sometimes you may have a disease or you've uh, taken an antibiotic and you are disturbed in your microbiota, then we need to think about it differently. What can we do to add bacteria back in? or maybe to augment the immune system to repair this damaged environment. And that's where probiotics and sometimes prebiotics can come in and be extremely valuable. Um, the problem is the vast majority of probiotics you see in the shelf, in Costco, as you said, um, uh, or any other store, um, are, are overwhelming and bewildering. And, and many of them have exactly the same organisms in them, but they have different colors, different packages, different numbers. And uh, we do not know um, of, uh, of any real hard and fast guidelines in the medical field, in the, in the microbiome field, or in the nutritional field about which ones are beneficial and most beneficial for maintaining health. We do know, for example, that the use of lactobacillus rhamnosus GG, a common one you can find in your, in your healthcare store, um, is valuable in treating diarrhea. So if your child has diarrhea, get them some lactobacillus rhamnosus GG, and feed it to them on a, on a regular basis as prescribed on the back of the bottle, and it will help to reduce the time that they are suffering from diarrhea. We also know this works for some allergies. We also know this works for some forms of neurological disorders, such as some forms of depression. There are certain types of probiotics which can be used to treat a disease. But if you're healthy and you have a healthy, balanced diet and you're living in a healthy environment, then there really is no need to take a probiotic. It doesn't actually seem to right. help promote wellness in the child. There are exceptions to that rule, though. Well, and there's also the title of the book, Dirt Being Good, and the uh, the proliferation of antibacterial soaps and things like that. I mean, there are other, other things that you can do to stimulate or avoid hindering the development of a, of a good immune system, right? Right, and this is where it gets really exciting, okay? Oh, I've talked about food and probiotics and diet. Well, that's one thing. But then there are environmental stimulants which can play a role. 
Um, having a dog lick your child's face might seem a little bit gross, but <laughs> your body's the body of your child has been expecting to see those animal bacteria around for years. We did a study in the Amish and the Hussites, and the Amish um, a sex who has a huge technology, right? They they don't like iPads or phones or or, um, or radios or TV. Um, they live in a world where the children are constantly exposed to a farming environment like their ancestors were for hundreds and thousands of generations, okay? And those children um, have very low rates of asthma and atrophy, um, allergic disease. The Hutterites have actually severed their children's relationship with animals. Um, the kids are not allowed on the farm. And so they see much highly, much more elevated levels of asthma and atrophy. And this is, this is fascinating to us, right? It suggests that the bacteria, the viruses, the fungi, the, the microbiota of the animals on the farm is actually beneficial to train a child's immune system in preventing disease. And we see the same thing with dogs. Uh, children that grow up with a dog in their home under the age of 13, under the age of 12 months, sorry, have a 13% reduction in the likelihood of developing asthma. And playing outside in the dirt, or even when you drop your baby's uh, you know, um, pacifier on the ground, just licking it off and sticking it back in baby's mouth is actually more beneficial for their health than, uh, than uh, you know, putting in a sterile one back into their mouth. Um, that exposure is valuable in training their immune system and preventing the development of these chronic immune disorders that are plaguing our society. You know, I want to go back a little bit to antibiotics because as you were talking about the even things starting with, with birth and the vaginal juices and, and all of the bacteria there, if you take an antibiotic and er everything is wiped out, is everything really wiped out? Do you lose the benefit of the things you got during birth or before you took the antibiotic? Or does some stuff no, stay there somehow? It, it's some, yeah, exactly. Some stuff stays there. I mean, you, you knock back the abundance, right? It's like it's like I went in and I culled as many of the organisms as I could. And the, the reason you do that is because you want to try and cull the organism, hit it off, the one that got into your bloodstream or the one that got into your muscle tissue or, you know, is infecting a wound. Um, that, that organism needs to be knocked out, right? And once you knock it down and get its abundance low enough, the immune system can take over again and kill it off. The, as you say, the unfortunate side effect is it kills off many of the other organisms as well, but it never fully wipes them out. The immune system, once, once their abundance has dropped low enough, you stop taking the antibiotic, uh, your immune system has killed off the bad guy, your immune system also takes over and starts to control the redevelopment of the good guys, right? right. It, 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 it falls back into its gardener role or its, uh, its uh, national park warden role and starts to re-promote the growth of a healthy ecosystem. Um, and sometimes that goes wrong, but the majority of the time it goes right. When it goes wrong, we can think about those probiotics. We can think about prebiotics and changing your diet, maybe um, you know, walking outside or exposing yourself to the outside world more could help to actually improve the development of that, of yeah. that uh, recovery. Okay? Yeah, is, on the whole, your body gets better. Is there a way that parents can take a look at their child and say, you know, you, you've got ADD or you've got celiac disease or you have issues with something or, you know, whatever it is, whether it's depression or any of the, the things that we've talked about. Is there a way to get that evaluated to see whether the problem is being caused by a microbiome issue? 
Um, unfortunately, right now, the, the science is at a very early stage. There are companies out there. One is called Ubiome, um, and Ubiome will offer you to, you know, for $89, you can have your microbiome sequence. Um, uh, they are exploring ways to, um, to find out how to evaluate that, but they're not quite there yet, right? Uh, they may be able to do it for a small number of diseases, but for the vast majority of the conditions we talked about, especially the ones that save children, uh, we cannot yet use this information to diagnose a child's in a condition or determine whether the microbiome is playing a substantive role. And we're at the very early stages of research and development. And as we move forward with this, we will see many of these facets getting into the clinic, but they're not there yet. Talking with Jack Gilbert, who's the co-author with Rob Knight and uh, Sandra Blakely was involved as well, of the book called Dirt is Good, The Advantage of Germs for Your Child's Developing Immune System. Jack, thanks for joining us. It's great. The book is filled with all sorts of stuff, and besides uh, information about various conditions, there's information about myths and things, questions that you may have. Uh, Jack, again, thanks very much. My pleasure. Lovely to speak with you. Dear Mom and Dad, one thing I've learned in the Army is that when you're lucky enough to get a little time off, you should put it to good use. So I'm taking a moment to write and tell you that I'm fine and doing well. We have good days and bad days over here. We try to remember the good ones and get through the bad ones as best we can. Mostly we have each other, and that's what keeps us going. That and the pride of our commitment to getting the job done, whatever it takes. I miss you all very much and can't wait to get back to life as usual. Please tell everybody hello for me, and that I'll be home soon. And Mom, since you asked... If anyone wants to help, just tell them to contact the USO. You can't believe how much they do for us. With love, your son Michael. The USO depends on the generosity of the American people, people just like you. To find out how you can help, visit us at USO.org. The USO, until everyone comes home. Welcome back to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brott. And it's time for an Ask Mr. Dad segment, this one dealing with treating boys and girls differently. Do we really need to? Dear Mr. Dad, my husband and I have two-year-old twins, a girl and a boy, and we both love spending time with them. But I've noticed that he and I have very different styles in several ways. We do different activities with the kids. And I've also noticed that I do a better job of treating the kids the same while he treats our son very differently than our daughter. What's the best way to play with a toddler? And isn't it better to play with the two kids in exactly the same way? The short answers to your questions are A, there's no such thing as a best way or a right way to play with children, and B, it's impossible to treat two children in identical ways, whether they're the same sex or not. To start with, moms and dads typically have very different play styles, with dads leaning toward louder physical activities, moms towards quieter, less physical ones. Neither approach is better than the other. For their first few years of life, kids learn almost everything about the world through play. And they're learning different but equally valuable lessons from each of you. So the best approach is for your kids to have both. Moms and dads differ in other ways as well. For example, dads generally encourage independence, allowing their children to take more risks and learn from the consequences. Moms tend to be more cautious and protective and encourage their children to take fewer risks, perhaps in an effort to spare them the pain that comes with failure. Of course, not all moms and dads fall into these patterns, but most do. Again, the best approach is both. Here's how this might play out. Imagine that you're in a park and your kids are climbing a jungle gym. 
you may find yourself standing closer to the bottom, ready to catch a falling child, warning them to be careful and suggesting that they've gone high enough. Your husband will most likely be standing a bit further away, encouraging the kids to climb higher. Or if you're walking with your kids and one of them falls, your husband will probably wait a few seconds longer than you do before helping. As you notice, dads and moms often don't treat their sons and daughters the same way, with moms being more egalitarian and dads more traditional. Dads tend to be more physical with and encourage independence in boys than girls, perhaps as a way to toughen boys up. Dads respond more quickly to fussy or crying girls than to boys and will pick up a daughter who's fallen sooner than a son. Interestingly, when it comes to gender roles, moms and dads are equally likely to support stereotypes. They're perfectly fine about dressing a girl in pink or blue, wanting to give her the option to be anything she wants to be. But the same parents would balk at putting their son in pink. Similarly, while they might encourage a girl to play with trucks and other boy toys, they're less likely to encourage a boy to play with dolls, unless they're superheroes or soldiers. While it might seem like a nice idea to treat your son and daughter the same way, that's never going to happen. The best you can do is give them both the same options and support the choices they make. A few years ago, I interviewed a mother of boy-girl twins who, like you, tried very hard to create a gender-neutral environment at home. So she was very surprised that her daughter often wrapped up toy trucks, gave them bottles, and rocked them to sleep. And she was equally surprised that her son tore the heads off the Barbie dolls and used the legs as guns. We'll be back next week with a whole new Positive Parenting show for you. Until then, I'm Armin Broad. Thanks for listening to Positive Parenting. You can get more information on today's show and what we're working on in the weeks ahead at MrDad.com. While you're there, visit the MrDad.com gift shop with everything you need to help you become the dad or mom you want to be. Positive Parenting is a production of the MrDad.com radio network. Now, go be a great parent.